This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a Media Week TV podcast. My name's James Manning from Media Week, and I'm joined, as usual, on these TV chats by Andrew Mercado. Welcome, Andrew. Hi, James. How are you? Pretty good, thank you. Now, you're in your um, uh, New South Wales coastal hideaway. Yes, yes, and I am hiding away. I'm screaming Dunkirk at the moment, so I've had to come outside because I tell you what, you'd, you'd think I was under attack during the war sequences. The whole building shakes when those planes start bombing. Yes. That's France, yeah. It's a very loud movie. There was a nice little bit of uh, afternoon wildlife we can hear in the background, so it's a, it's a nice setting. The, um, I've had people comment before they like our bird noises sometimes when we're in our <laughs> Potts Point office, but today you're supplying them, so well done. Yeah, no worries. Um, it's been a little while since we spoke, I think, so um, I might have to get you to jog my memory on some of the thing topics as we get to them today but um one of the things that definitely has started since we last chatted is hell's kitchen australia yeah uh, which sees uh seven really keen to try and get up another cooking show after the excess of my kitchen rules and you you can maybe understand why they keep having a crack but gee whiz they've had a few failures haven't they but James, it makes me wonder why they're so desperate to have another cooking franchise. My Kitchen Rules is so successful and works so well for them. Why don't they just leave it at that? Why aren't they trying to get some other sort of franchise going as opposed to the cooking all the time? I don't get it. Yeah, but I guess when you get cooking right, though, it's just massive for you. And I look like there's um, 11 separate international editions of My Kitchen Rules being made now that um, yep. Seven gets a clip off every one of those. I think the last two were relatively big markets, Germany and... Oh, now I knew I'd forget this. I can't remember what the other one was. <laughs> but there's two quite recently, Germany and another big... Uh, oh, Canada, I think it was. Was it Canada? Canada's, okay, that could Canada, be right. Yep, Canada's got one too. And, of course, the Aussie one gets shown a lot of places as well. Um, and it just look how it, what it's done for their start to the ratings year, you know. It's just massive. So, I mean, they've had so many cracks at it. And, um, gee, the latest one seems to have fallen over badly, doesn't it? Yeah, it's it's come as bad a cropper as uh, Adrian Zumbo's Just Desserts last year. Was that yeah. what it was called? I can't even remember now. Yeah, it was something to do with Adrian Zumbo. And, yeah. And, you know, and I, I mentioned this earlier this year, and the same thing with too with uh, Marco Pierre White. Look, these people are really do great TV, especially in that sort of MasterChef environment where it's yep. they're the format's not really dependent on them. They're just one of, you know, many contributors. But out by themselves, they're just not big enough to carry a program. I don't think so. And also, you know, Hell's Kitchen is a format that's been around since 2003 or 2004. Mm. And Gordon Ramsay's always sort of helmed it in, you know, the, the UK version and the American version. Look, if they'd gotten Gordon Ramsay to do the Australian version, I mean, he still rates on TV. That might have made it. But to do his show without Gordon Ramsay and then to cast it with a really uninspiring group of near celebrities it just was kind of a bit doomed to failure before it even aired i reckon yeah 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 you're absolutely right the um i mean you've you've gone through some before we've got sam frost candace warner david oldfield gaz beetle stop me if there's anybody you've heard of before <laughs> isa schultz uh, deborah lawrence i mean she's you know wow uh, she's not going to draw a crowd on her own is she uh, lincoln lewis jess fox um willie mason you know petty fleur berenger yeah Look, I think Michael Idardo nailed it in the Sydney Morning Herald on the weekend where he sort of said, you know, just because you've been a contestant in a reality TV show, mm. that doesn't then make you a celebrity to then appear on another reality TV show. And I think we're seeing that a lot at the moment, that reality shows, and particularly shows with celebrity in front of them, are really just contestants from other reality shows. You know, it's like this the pool that keeps shrinking more and more with every new show they do do mm. 
and just on that uh, Gordon Ramsay thing too, I think uh, Gordon Ramsay is a lot different host and it's a lot different show, isn't it, to the one Marco Pierre White's delivering. Gordon's very confrontational. It will give the contestants a really hard time, you know, maybe not afraid to embarrass them, whereas Marco yeah. really operates on a different level, doesn't he? He's sort of, you know, he, he caresses them. He sort of tries to, you know, motivate them into doing good work. But, um, yeah. you know, and, it, and then is, how is Seven selling it? Are they selling it like a the conventional Hell's Kitchen or are they really trying to sell this warm and fuzzy one? And does it work as a warm and fuzzy format? No. And, I mean, that uh, the set, you can tell it's a set. They're not, on a, not in an actual restaurant. Mm. You know, they say, you know, there'll be real diners coming and then the real diners turn out to be, Larry and Kylie Gillies from the morning show to cross promote another Channel 7 show and you go, oh my god, there isn't one single element of this show that's actually working properly. Sure. Yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, it's not terribly good and there's some more to come this year. We've got the Family Food Fight coming on 9. So, yep. um, you know, you've, geez, the success rate of these shows isn't great, is it? So you've got to think the odds would be against it being massive but uh it all depends what it's up against there mightn't be much else on this year i don't know if seven have got any knockout um content left to come this year no they, they their cupboard seems to be bare we know they've got little big shots still to screen and you know family food fight look that's a good title mm. at least mm. um and it's you know it's going to be obviously be nine's version of my kitchen rules with a few little changes in there mm. but uh yeah everyone's so desperate for that cooking show i just think that seven needs to say we've got one really successful cooking show let's try and think of something else to get and stop trying to get a second cooking show off the back. It's it's too, one too many for me. Yeah, but then cooking, you know, it's what seven's biggest show of the year. MasterChef, it's 10's biggest show of the year. So, you know, you, you do get it right. You sort of, you know, you can lock away 13 weeks of uh, pretty good ratings. But, um, yeah, if you don't, you're just burning a lot of money and um, yeah. getting a lot of weeks with nothing on air. Um a show that's really kicking goals for nine again this year in what season 13 are uh, the block it's doing yeah. fantastic business but they're um i mean it's good but how good is it andrew how much could we take of the format well look certainly shelly craft has been quoted in the newspaper recently as saying that she's pitching for a 24 7 non-stop channel of the block and it's like Shelley please <laughs> you're having a laugh aren't you I mean that would be the literal definition of watching paint dry wouldn't it yeah but you know yeah. I, I said that to Amanda and Jonesy on the radio and Jonesy immediately said oh well I'd watch it you know because some <laughs> blokes would watch renovations and, and would watch every last minute of it but yeah I think that nine need to remember that the reason the block is so successful again is because they're only doing it once a year if you remember back to when they got greedy and they did two series a year and it felt like it was on all the time interest really waned in it you've got to make these franchises a once a year annual event to really make people think that they're special uh if you if you try and do it uh more than once a year uh i don't reckon the audience thinks it's as special anymore no, of course they don't. I think at its peak, I think I'm pretty sure one year they did over 100 episodes in the block, which was, yeah, that a was massive, too much. Yeah, it was a massive commitment. I think this year we'll probably get, what do we get, about 12 weeks, four nights a week. So we'll get around mid to late 40s, uh, that many episodes. Um, Ronnie and Georgia, my tip uh, for the uh, champs this year, Andrew, they uh, started yes. off very well. They won that first challenge. I think all teams had to do a bedroom and the winner got to choose the house. So yep. uh, Ronnie and George have picked what could possibly be the best home, they thought, although it's right in the middle. It's, you think one of the end um, houses on that whole development might be the pick, but they got the house right in the middle. And um, I think they fell over in the second challenge, but they've come good. They won maybe the third challenge. I'm losing a little bit of track of the numbers, but they look uh, like they're going to be doing very well. Well, they're the, they're the most professional renovators there, aren't they? They do it all the time. They yeah. pretty much seem to do it for a living. Sure. Um, yeah, he's a you, professional you plasterer, at, yeah. 
Yeah, and you just look at the the ones from far north Queensland, the former football player, and they've never renovated before. <laughs> and then you look at that older married couple that you see their house and they haven't finished one single room in their house. They've got a house completely still under construction. They haven't finished one single job there yet. And you mm. think, yeah, 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 they're, they're not going to win. Yeah. It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because this year I think every couple except the one you mentioned – has like a uh, a tradie as one of the team members, which you yeah. think was that really in the spirit of the show? I don't know, but I mean it's obviously it's obviously making good TV and people are watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, it's still cast very well. Let's face it. Yeah, yep. Uh, big show starting the the weekend after we've recorded this podcast. Top of the Lake Two or Top of the Lake China Girl. Um, big things are expected of this. It's getting um, grave reviews all around the world. Screening in the US, uh, it's launching here. It's, you know, it was all the talk of Khan when it was on. It was at the Melbourne Film Festival, I think, two weeks ago. Have you had a yep. chance to look at much of it yet? Or? Yeah, I've watched the first two episodes, James. And yep. Like the original series, it's very, very weird. But then that's what you expect with James Campion, with yeah. Jane Campion, yeah. not James Campion, Jane <laughs> Campion. I mean. She's, she's a fantastic filmmaker, and I've been re-watching a couple of her earlier films recently. I watched okay. Holy Smoke on Stan with um, Kate Winslet and Harvey Keitel, yep. and uh, I'd never seen it before, and I just sat there going, oh, my God, this is the maddest thing I've seen in ages. <laughs> and then I saw Sweetie with Genevieve Lemon, and again, I just thought, oh, my God, these, these people are just insane. I always get the feeling when I'm watching a Jane Campion movie or TV series, that we're in Jane's world and you'd never, ever meet people like that in real life. She just has the most odd-bod characters and you spend the whole time going, I don't think I know any human being that would react like that. But I kind of go with it. And the first two episodes of China Girl, I had a lot of, uh, I had a bit of trouble following the plot because I'd sort of read a review that said, oh, you don't need to watch Top of the Lake 1. It'll all, you know, flow in perfectly. Well, sorry, that was nearly three or four years ago now. I had to actually go onto Wikipedia and read up about it and go, okay, now I think I'm getting it because it really, there were some, it jumps all over the place, the first two episodes. The first episode starts and then the second episode is a flashback and you're going, what the hell is happening? But look, the cast in this one is really great. You know, Nicole Kidman's in there, almost unrecognisable with her grey hair and fake teeth. And uh, you've got Jane Campion's daughter in there, a little bit of nepotism there. And then the really odd thing that I'm noticing, James, is how many comedians are in the cast this yeah. time. Yeah. Adam Zwar, Ken Gingell, Kristen Van Vuren from Soulmates, um, Shane Jacobson's brother, Clayton Jacobson, Mark Downey, all these kind of actors slash comedians that you're used to seeing in quite funny roles all in this like really kind of very serious very grisly murder mystery type thing and it, it kind of throws you a little bit you think oh my God, what am i watching here am i watching one of jane campion's mad things or is this meant to be a really serious drama and it's the latter it's meant to be a really serious drama all the time so you know still i'm only two episodes in i've got to make it to the end but uh it's you certainly can't look away from it it's certainly uh, quite fascinating to watch unravel yeah, yeah, look, I'm with you on a lot of those things. Yeah, those uh, comedians, it was weird seeing them in such in sort of relatively minor roles, weren't they? But, yeah. But quite still sort of, a, you know, critical to the plot, I guess, at times. But Kim Gingell, yeah, I was at the start, I was thinking, is that Kim Gingell? It sort of looked yes. like him. But you never got a good look at him front on or anything, did you? So it was sort no. of, it was hard to work out if it was him. And then, yeah, um, Shane Jacobson's brother, how much do they look alike? Well, I thought it was I thought Shane it was Jacobson. Same. I didn't. I kept thinking, oh. but it's not him, is it? It's just, it's a little bit different. And I realised, yeah, it's his brother. And of course, I think he did, was he direct Kenny, I think, or he wrote Kenny? They worked on he Kenny was involved the movie. In it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so it was amazing likeness there. And I thought, oh, no, here's another role. Shane Jacobs snapped up. He's, he's sort of in everything. 
Which well, was... he had a beard, so that's why I thought it was Shane Jacobson. I thought, well, maybe this is Shane Jacobson with a beard. I actually had to look it up, mm, and I was Shane, looking up yeah. all the names of the comedians, and then I went, oh, it's Shane's brother, <laughs> you know, and he's a Clayton's too. He's the, the Shane Jacobson you're having when you're not having a Shane Jacobson. <laughs> <laughs> but he was pretty good, I thought. He has a relatively was good. major role in those first couple of episodes, but I, th- I thought he was quite good at what he did. Yeah. Um, yeah, look, uh, regarding Top of the Lake 1 versus Top of the Lake 2, I th- and again, I'm, I've only seen the first two eps, I thought this one was probably a little bit easier to follow for me. Yes. Maybe that's because I've seen the first one where I did get a little bit lost. Um, it, it just didn't seem as weird. I, I get it what you all those sort of quirky characters and stuff like that, but this one was a little bit straighter. It just the, the narrative yep. I thought was easier. There was less sort of weird stuff. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if there's plenty of that to come. There's, oh. There are a couple of references to stuff that happens in the um, first series, but then the characters sometimes do explain it. Yeah. But, but I guess the biggest revelation for me was, you know, Alice uh, Englert, um, Jane Campion's daughter, you know, and um, yes. I thought she was pretty good. You know? she, does, she has been pretty good so far, hasn't she? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty. It's an amazing role, and it's sort of, to me, there's two things. There's the murder mystery element, if you like. Then there's sort of almost a separate story revolving around Alice and her relationship with all the, the key characters. Yes, and then, you know, the daughter is going out, has this older... She's in high school, but she's going out with an older man who... Here, mate, no, 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 but I'm, you know what I mean? The whole scenario is just so bizarre. I know, it it's is, It's like, what, it? you're in high school and you're dating a man like that? Absolutely. It's so weird. Yeah, and then just her relationship with um, with a couple of the key characters, you know? But but she's yeah. really got some acting chops, though, hasn't she, you know? It's, it's pretty yeah. incredible yeah. that the stuff she puts on and what an interesting cast this guy who plays um david uh Denchik, i think it is he's a um i think he's a, a scandinavian swedish actor um he plays the um i think we call him the boyfriend can't we of um yeah yep, that, that doesn't give it away yeah alice's yep. ca- character uh, mary evans i thought he's yep. a really interesting guy um you yeah. and leslie who plays uh, pike edwards Who's um? Who, we, he's sort of uh, married to Nicole Kidman's character. That's a good way of explaining it. Yeah, I'm, going, I'm sort of dancing <laughs> around this. Sort of. Yeah. <laughs> but did you like him? I thought he was excellent, and it, yeah, and it's almost a minor good. role, but but he's yeah. really he does it so well, you know. Yeah, he's very solid. You and Leslie, he's he been is, in a few things good. lately, and yeah, yeah, um, yeah, he's, he's very, very good. busy, very busy. Yeah. Um, uh, Elizabeth Moss. I thought she's good, but she's almost—it's almost she's almost downplaying this role. I felt she's, you know, she's. Um, I don't know. It's just—it's just weird. I don't—I don't bind all this stuff about her accent. I just that I don't even notice that when I'm watching it. You know, I just yeah, I, it doesn't worry me at all. Um, but it, yeah, it was almost if the she fact was, that she hasn't nailed the Australian accent. Yeah, quite, you mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I just, but I just don't notice that. You know, I just don't even think about that when I'm watching it. I just don't, I'm not very, I, I hear that often, people say, oh, I haven't got the accent right, and I'm, well, does it matter, is it going to affect the story, because I, you know, you buy into the character, you you know, you just get immersed in it, I think, anyway, Gwendolyn Christie is uh, Miranda Hills-Marson, I think you have pronounced it, her, her, you know, she plays a, a policewoman uh, stationed at Bondi, um, yep, I don't know, out of all the characters, she was, you know, the hardest one to get, I don't know, to me develop a rapport with, but I think it came, you know. I think that she's obviously got to be given something more to do as the story goes on. Mm. She's obviously there to give a bit of female support to the Elizabeth Moss character, who, let's yeah. face it, is a mess yeah. and really yeah. could do with a friend and uh, someone to sort of uh, say, snap the hell out of it, pull yourself together type yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, and I got to say, I really, uh, really enjoyed Nicole Kidman. You know, I, yeah, fascinating. I, I thought it was excellent. You know, she's been. Um, p- uh, people have talked a lot about the look, but then again, you know, I, I don't find it that shocking. I mean, it's still obviously Nicole Kidman. I love the grey hair and the um, mm-hmm. and the sort of and her character is so um, so amazing. You know, you, I think people are really going to find it fascinating. Um, Especially, I mean, we've only seen two episodes, and it's it's really interesting what what uh, she gets up to, the situation she finds herself in, and I'm I'm just riveted to see where it goes. 
and the type of parent that she's playing, yeah. I actually found her to be one of the most interesting characters in it so far. Yeah, yeah, it's got so much. The one to I offer. want to know more about. Yeah, yeah, it's got it's so rich, isn't it? So look, um, I'd really urge people, even if they you know maybe didn't warm to the first one too much, look, give this one a little bit of a go, and I and I think you really find it um, good viewing. Yeah, for sure. One of your favourite series, and I think it was in your top ten last year, is back for a second season, Doctor Doctor? Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've watched the first two episodes of this season, and it just kind of picks up where the last one left off, a couple of weeks in between. And, uh, you know, I thought it was really, really good. I, and it, I was so happy with the way that it rated last night, James. Oh, it was it pretty good, much bang on what it did last year. Yep. Yeah. Um, and in terms of total viewers, it really smashed Offspring, didn't it? Although Offspring still gets those key demos yeah. and skews yeah. very female. But, uh, yeah, Doctor Doctor is a crowd pleaser. And I just think that, you know, Roger Course is so good in the title role and the supporting cast around him, particularly Tina Bursell as his mother, who's playing the corrupt mayor, you know, she's just really chewing up the scenery and stealing a lot of those really great moments moments from everyone so you know i just think it's a really enjoyable good aussie show that sort of it's one of those shows that kind of has something for everybody and sometimes those shows with broad appeal kind of get a bit lost because they're so broad but this is one dra australian drama that nine have absolutely nailed yeah, look, they, they have, and I was lucky enough to speak to Ian Colley from Essential Media. He's one of the key creatives. I think he created the program, and he's worked as a writer and executive producer on it. And, um, yeah, it's just look, a fascinating success story for Essential. It's, I think it's their biggest, or well, one of their, um, they're usually, so you find their stuff on the ABC or SBS. They did Rake, of course, which is probably yep. their biggest hit. But I guess this is sort of challenging that now for it to be a bigger hit. It's getting bigger audiences than Rake did because it's on a yeah. commercial channel who can um, promote it a bit harder. But, yeah, Nicole De Silva's there, Roger Corsi, you mentioned. Uh, Hayley McElhaney's uh, good in it. Um, yes. Uh, as you say, Tina Bursell. The, um, now, it's going to be up against some other Aussie dramas. Though it's, it's up against Offspring at the moment, and uh, I think that'll be replaced by The Wrong, uh, the wrong Girl in a few weeks. Yeah, well, I wonder. I did read somewhere in the paper today that the wrong girl was coming to ten on Thursday nights. Is that a misprint? Because I would have thought that it was a a shoe in to kind of replace Offspring, which seems that you know that ten are promoing it as final weeks. But I read something today that said Thursday, and I thought, hmm, really? I'd be, you know, but I'd be very surprised. To me, it feels like it's going straight into that Offspring time yeah, slot sure, to come in yeah. after the Bachelor and the Bachelorette and and, and keep those female viewers. Surely, because I think yeah, Gogglebox will be back after this season of Common Sense finishes, and I don't think there's any... Well, they can't really move <coughs> Gogglebox because uh, no. Lifestyle gets the first That's screening exactly on the Wednesday spot on, night. James. They won't want to move that. And yeah. Um, and, yeah, why would 10 upset what's working for them on Thursday nights with Gogglebox? So, and yeah, I someone's think, got that wrong today. Yeah, You're right. Yeah, and... Um, Sisters will will then follow on to round out the year for ten years. Ah, yes, after, yes. After Wrong Girl finishes, then we'll get Sisters, and another show that's on ten schedule that I'd forgotten about uh, was Waking Fright. Yes, because we haven't heard much about that um, the last few weeks, but that's still on track to screen this year. Are you sure they're going to screen Sisters this year? Because I, I'm not seeing it in that kind of general promo that Tenor airing where they're talking about Waking Fright, showing Sophie Monk as The Bachelorette and kind of doing a, a general look at us type thing. I'm not seeing any footage yet from Ten, no promos. Well, I did check that um, fact this week because I um, had a bit of a chat to Rick Mayer about uh, The Wrong Girl, which we'll be putting yep. in the magazine shortly, and uh, he mentioned, I said, look, what else you've been working on? He reeled off the things, and he said, Waking Frightened Sisters. And I said, well, well hang right. on a minute. So what's what's the update there? Are they both planned for this year? And he said, yep, they're in the schedule, they're coming. So I guess okay. things can change. But yeah, like you, I was a little bit surprised because it uh, certainly has been generating too much um, commentary or anticipation but then again I think networks can often go too early on a show you know don't yeah, don't yeah. build expectations too far away from broadcast date because people forget you know do That's it right. do it in the just the, the week before it's on air or 10 days or something but then then so people can get it on their um on their radar and then watch it when it comes on 
I mean, uh, Wake in Fright is hugely anticipated for oh, yeah. me. It's, uh, yeah. I think it's the greatest Australian film of all time. So it's a, a huge uh, gamble to take on one of the greatest Aussie movies of all time. But from the promo that I've seen and the cast that they've got, I think they might be about to pull it off. Yeah, you would you would hope so. We, you know, I don't think anybody wants to see this sort of, if you like, event TV um, drama sort of no. um, be considered too hard. I mean, but gee whiz, people will be thinking that after Blue Murder, though, maybe, won't they? Oh, well, that's true, yeah. There's, there was the disappointment. Yeah, I think it, it launched with around, what, 700, something like that, maybe high sixes, and then it, it dropped to just, just a bit over half a million for that second episode. For night two, yeah, yeah. it was disastrous, night, yeah. night two, considering anticipation around it. Yeah, look, it wasn't bad, but it, I don't know, it just didn't hit all the right buttons for me. I just... Uh, it was interesting, and I still enjoyed it. And it yep. might even make my sort of expanded best list best list for the year. But I can sort of see how a lot of people didn't engage with it. It it just felt to me like another episode of Underbelly. I mm. just didn't feel like I was watching Blue Murder. To me, they're all sort of starting to merge into one. They're all using the same actors. Uh, there's so many Australian drama stories now about crooked crops and criminals. And, you know, to think that Underbelly's back there now doing Chopper, it's like, are you kidding me? We've seen all that. It's been done to death. Um, I just think we need to find new things to make Aussie drama about, quite frankly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was... um yeah, there were some interesting casting decisions in that uh, Blue Murder too, wasn't it? Which um, I'm just not sure how successful. I thought Richard Roxburgh was good, and he sort yeah, of, he was great. He sort of portrayed such a such a weird character, um, Roger Rogerson, wasn't he? You know, he what was his motivation? Because he didn't seem to have great wealth or anything, did he? You know, he still lived no. in a, a little suburban shack. Um, you know, he didn't sort of enjoy the benefits of the uh, of the evil <laughs> life that a lot of his gangster colleagues did, you know. He, yeah. Um, but he just, gee, he was a nasty bloke, wasn't he? Sure was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I mean, to, to me, the uh, mo- yeah. one of the most disappointing parts of Blue Murder is that after all that, when you get to the crunch moment of them going into that storage shed where one of them's about to shoot Jamie Gow mm. um, before they dump his body in Cronulla. And, of course, we remember from the court case that they, Roxburgh and the other bloke both accused each other of pulling the trigger. And, of course, they go in and pull the garage door down and you hear a shot and that's the end of it. It was over. <laughs> they had nothing to add to the story. And I just that was, for me, was like just a really bad ending. I went, oh, my God, I've watched all of that and they're not even going to take a guess at what happened in there. Wow. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Tony Collette's character? Oh, I just thought it was kind of ordinary. I didn't mm. really think it was one of her strongest roles. And yeah. I must admit, I looked at her and just thought, you're an idiot. You should be able to see that this guy's bad news. I just really couldn't, didn't get her motivation as to why she was with him. I was like, yeah, it was just, it was just Tony Collette being Tony Collette as far as I was concerned. Yeah, yeah. I always liked Dan Wiley's work. I love Dan Wiley. Yeah, thought he was good. Um, uh, Matt Nabel, I liked liked him when he was in it. You know, it was good. Very strong. Emma Booth again, you know. Yeah. Great. Tony Martin did some good work, you know, yeah, but... (coughs) So I don't know. It's um, I'm just not sure why I'm 100. Why I wasn't 100 percent on it, but um, well, Matt Nabel was in was in an uh, installment of Underbelly. So was Emma Booth. That's right. I yeah, just yeah. kind of felt I've seen all this before. Them playing cops going after. I'd seen it all in Underbelly. I I couldn't understand why they were casting the same people for Blue Murder. If it had been cast differently, I may not have had so many Underbelly flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. I think Aaron Jeffrey. He was in. Uh, he was in the the same series of Underbelly that Matt Nabel yes, was. Yes, he in, was. So, yeah. You know, yeah. As again, those uh, those images keep coming up, don't they? Robert Mamone. He was in Underbelly. The list just went on and on and on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, still on dramas, the uh, soaps. What's happening on the soaps? I love getting my updates about what's going on at Neighbours and Home and Away. Let's start with Neighbours. What's going on? Well, Neighbours pulled an absolute uh, out-of-the-blog <laughs> bolt shock on Monday night. 
uh, all of a sudden, you might remember earlier this year, great uh, uh, fanfare around the return of Madeline West. So after many years, it turned out that she wasn't back playing D. She was playing a con woman called Andrea who looked like D. It all went very badly just after she got uh, Toadie to sleep with her. He okay. discovered she was a fake. His marriage broke up. So for the past few months, he's been trying to get back together with his wife, Sonia, and he just reunited with her on Monday night. And then the, the uh, next scene, there was Madeline West again sitting on a park bench in a white dress, not dissimilar to the wedding dress she was wearing when she went in the Commodore station wagon into the drink in Port Phillip Bay and went <laughs> missing all those years ago. Yeah. And this bloke walked up to her and said, what are you doing? And she said, I'm just thinking about old times. And then when the credits ran, the credits said, special appearance by Madeline West. So the credits then didn't say whether or not she was playing D or Andrea. So the fans have gone wild, James, um, and clearly Madeline West is coming back, and so they should get her back. I mean, there was so much fan interest around that, and particularly in the UK, when that episode went to air, the, the Brits went absolutely crazy that she was back in the show. So uh, good on them for pulling something off and keeping it under their hat too. Yeah, yeah. And um, what about Home and Away? Um, there's now, is there a, they've found a new sort of um, heartthrob, have they? Or a new, well, how would you describe this character? Well, I'd describe him as a new Brax. A They're new trying Brax. very hard to, to get a new Stephen Peacock on board. And yeah. this guy's come in and he's got amnesia and uh, they finally figured out his name is Robbo, which is a very Aussie name to have in Home and Away. So the promo this week is, is Robbo good or is he bad? And yeah. I'd venture to you, James, that being Home and Away, he's probably a bit of both. He'll be a bad boy that just needs the love of a good woman and, uh, you know, he'll probably spend the next three or four years uh, dipping in and out of his uh, former life a crime. That's usually how it runs on Home and Away. Yeah. What... Um now, Home and Away still, of course, gets the much bigger audiences. Um, Neighbours still lives on the multi-channel. It's on 11, yeah. isn't it? Does, um, what's, the, what's, what's got the buzz about it for soap fans, do you think? Is it, what's, what's most watchable these days? Who's doing the best job? Well, it is a bit of an unfair question because I think in, it, it's completely the reverse in Britain. In Britain, it's still all about neighbours and nobody watches Home and Away. Mm. And here in Australia, it's kind of the opposite. Everyone's watching Home and Away and uh, still only the hardcore people are, are, are stuck on to neighbours. Yeah. For me, neighbours is still doing the more interesting stuff. You know, I'd like to think that Home and Away is working its way up to something huge because, you know, next Australia Day, 2000 and uh, 18, they're going to be celebrating their 30th anniversary, so they're going to have to mark that in some huge way, yeah. and you know, it's not that far off now, so um, yeah, I'd just love to think that they've got something really amazing uh, under their hat to uh, celebrate their 30th anniversary in style. Yeah, yeah, okay. Now, uh, Pulse on the ABC, it's been going for a few weeks, probably in about yep. four, maybe five episodes in, and I think it's a yep. short-run six, maybe eight, I can't remember, I think six uh, series, uh, six episodes. Have did we, I don't think we've talked about it before, though, have we? I don't think we have on a podcast. I've mm. watched the first couple of episodes and it hasn't really grabbed me. It, mm, it kind of, uh, it's very drab looking. It's, you know, it's meant to be set in a hospital that's kind of uh, struggling. And um, that's good, I guess, for storylines. But gee, it looks drab on the screen. Yeah. And uh, the lead character, Claire Vanderboom, well, she's a, uh, a, transplant recipient so she studied up to become a doctor and is now working in the ward that saved her life under the doctor that saved her life too and of course um you know she's sick all the time she spends all the time trying not to catch an infection so you know she spends a lot of time in her bedroom coughing every time i turn it over to see what's happening she's kind of coughing and pretending not to let anybody know that she might uh she might be infected i don't know it's just not really grabbing me james i, I mean some of the critical reviews i've read of it say you know someone said it was the new er I don't know who they were mm. um I'm, i've not seen that myself it's certainly not pacey enough for me to be the new er 
are. I'm going to have to disagree with you big time here, Andrew, because I'm really I'm loving Pulse. I mean, oh my god! Look, I knew nothing about it, but and I just it was on in the house one night. I sat down and I sort of I was I was on the computer or something. I was working and taking a bit of notice, and I got into it. I put away the laptop and I started watching. I've just been back every week. Is that right? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it. You know, I'm I'm uh, loving the cast. Look, the hospital set. Okay, it's possibly a bit dodgy. I'm going to feel they might have filmed it in Brisbane. I'm not sure. At, right. Um, but look, I just love it. I'm enjoying the cast. I love Claire Vanderboom. I think she's great. Yep. Andrea Dimitriadis. I love her. She is good. I love her, yeah. Uh, Owen Teal, who's sort of the almost these days you need an obligatory staff from who's been in Game of Thrones, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> to get taken seriously. But no, look, he's really good. He's He's um he's a doctor who's actually got it. Well, most of these doctors aren't very healthy in this show. So he's got some <laughs> he's got some health challenges as well. Um, but no, look, I'm really having a good time, and I'll be sorry when it ends. So I, I certainly hope they go. Susie Porter's in it again. There's not much she's not in these days, is she? No, that's true. She she gets a role in everything. But yeah, no, look, I'm really loving it. So, um, um, who was it? Uh, Chris Wilde was one of the co-creators, so he's got a sort of uh, a pretty good um, resume in Aussie dramas. Think back to things. Yeah. Like, I think he worked on. He worked on uh, East West High. 101. Yeah, uh, he, was yeah. On, he was a writer on GP. Isn't Chris Wilde a girl? Back in the day. Oh, so she is. It's sorry. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've even interviewed us at some stage. Yeah. yeah, yeah look, Chris with a K. Yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, look, something in the air. Um, and um, Deep Water uh, involved yes, there right. too. But yeah, look, I'm loving Pulse. No, there's actually eight episodes. So, okay. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the uh, the last couple of those. And at this stage, it's on my best list for the year, I think. It's, uh, wow. Okay. Well, I've completely missed the boat. I, I watched the first one and a half episodes and just didn't get it. Yeah. Um, and I'm more excited about the fact that the promos uh, on ABC would indicate that when it finishes, Glitch Series 2 will take its place. I'm a bit more pumped for that. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, what else did I've? Um, did we talk about the stand, the new stand, sort of commissions and the sort of the little upfront showcase they had a couple of weeks ago? No, we did not. We and I mean, we haven't talked about Romper Stomper, the latest in Australian movies being remade for TV. Hot on the heels of Wake in Fright, Picnic at Hanging Rock for Foxtel, and now we have a new series of Romper Stomper 25 years after the original. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. They're working pretty quickly on it too. I think um, work only started, I think, uh, a fortnight ago this week, and they're hoping to have it up for maybe December, January uh, to screen, screen across wow. the, for the summer. So they're certainly not wasting any time on it. And, I, and you know, if you'd asked me who would make Romper Stomper, I wouldn't have really picked uh, John Edwards. I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah, but, no, I don't think I would have yeah, either. But it's because you would imagine it's going to be quite an edgy drama maybe, you know, because the film certainly was. It was controversial back in the day. Hugely and I, controversial. And I don't think they'll be shying away from that in this one because it's, no. you could argue it's even more topical now, some of the, um, the subjects that it's going to raise. But, yeah, he's working... I'm Working with his son Dan. Yeah, I think it's re- I think it's a really interesting uh, choice to do because you're absolutely right. I know they're going to kind of uh, move it because 25 years ago the enemy was the Vietnamese, right? Yes. Um, and of course, uh, in today's modern Australia, the enemy is the Muslims. So um, you know you've got the same characters, Jacqueline McKenzie reprising her role. Yes. Uh, you can't get Russell Crowe in there because he's dead. He was uh, killed in the first one. Um, but fascinating to see where those characters have ended up. And it sounds like uh, some of their kids, or they're still heavily involved in this kind of white nationalist movement. Uh, it, it could be really incredible. And, you know, let's face it, John Edwards did a fantastic job turning Puberty Blues, the movie, into a TV series and expanding that story and uh, giving more scope to some of those background characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. A few other things there. The um, they, uh, the showcase I went to, they showed a trailer from Wolf Creek, uh, the second season they're doing of that. And gee whiz, that looks really good. That was a it was a classic. Uh, there's um, 
the the trailer at their work. They're still in production in South Australia, of course. I think it finishes uh, later this month. But the John Jarrett character, Mick Taylor, in the trailer, is sitting at a in a um, a roadside cafe. You know, at a, a petrol station with a cafe at the back, and there's a tour bus there with um, people getting back on the bus, and you hear a character counting one, two. He's counting the. Oh. <laughs> the tourists as they get on the bus and the camera pulls back and it's Mick Taylor and it's just so, yep. so well done that, you know, it's really, um, really amazing. <laughs> of course, if you watched the first season of um, the series, you were left in a bit of doubt at the end, weren't you? If um, if maybe Mick Taylor, because he got a pretty good hiding at the end of that, didn't he? You know, you think, he sure did. Did he survive that? And the, I think the very last frame of that, you see his, his car comes driving back down the road. But you, yeah. you weren't sure who was at the wheel, so I guess it left open the possibility that it was him, and I uh, guess what, it, it was him, because he's, he's back for season two. Look, he's almost turned into a sort of a supernatural uh, killer like you'd find in a Halloween or a Friday the 13th <laughs> movie. He can't be killed, James. No, no. So <laughs> I, I guess we're all going to, you know, it would be interesting how they end this one, won't it, if they... Um, Again, if they have him, him getting, copying it or getting sent to prison yeah. or whatever happens, you've got to think, yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah. He'll manage to get out of this somehow. Of course he will. Yeah, but at the, uh, they, it was quite a clever thing at the upfront. They did a couple of um, Skype chats, the first one with Greg McLean, who was in the editing suite working on the program. So that right. was really good. And then they did a cross to John Jarrett on a separate call. He was on location out in the sort of look like the South Australian desert or something. So it was a really wow. clever little thing. And it was obviously, a, you know, Stan doesn't throw around the money like the big broadcasters do, but it was a very clever little thing to do. And it was just, they just did it on FaceTime on an iPhone and patched it through to the screen in the little theatrette where they were but it was really effective to give you a taste of it was almost like a set visit for the people who were there interesting and james have you watched their drama which has started which is will be streaming now on stan uh the other guy is it with matt, o matt o kine i have seen the first one yes. yeah i've watched the first oh, two look i wasn't a fan of that first step i've got to say no I just, no. oh, I just really didn't like it. I have read a few reviews that made me think, well, maybe I should give it a go. But just the plot line yeah. of that first one, that somebody wet the bed. I don't know. <laughs> and I just found that just so... I just couldn't see that was the basis for a story, you know. I just And the whole show, they're just walking around with this mattress that's been pissed on. And that, yeah. was, that was sort of the central... Um, dramatic thing and there just wasn't much else in it that interested me am i too harsh on that look i didn't love it james to me it just felt really obvious you know that you've got a former triple j breakfast radio show host mm. who makes a show about a breakfast show radio host <laughs> and he's sort of you know dating dramas and I, I can see what they're trying to do i mean this is kind of what this is very much to me aiming to that streaming market the, mm. the kids that do nothing but stream they don't watch free-to-air tv they just stream that show is aimed at them it's that it's about their age group they may find it hilarious i'm a little bit older than that group and i just find mm. them with you i just kind of i just found it a little bit self-conscious yeah and uh didn't think it was great. I, the one thing in it that I thought was really great, though, was Harriet Dyer as his best friend. Okay, who was yeah. this? Who was you know the the, the girl? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was. She was almost like a bloke in yeah. the yeah. you know the fact that she was drinking a lot and very casual about going to the pharmacy and getting a morning after pill and all that. Yeah. she was great, particularly if you think about her role in Love Child, where she's very much the opposite of that type of character. I loved her in this, yeah. Um, but uh, I don't know whether or not she's enough to make me watch that whole series. Yeah, look, I'm even further out of that demo than you are, I'm guessing. So, um, yeah, it certainly didn't gel or engage me at all. And, yeah. and I thought the production values, I thought, were just, I don't know, pretty shabby. And But, but then again, maybe that helps for the, the whole indie edgy feel, I'm not sure. Maybe. But to me, like, yeah. there were some scenes that were so dark, you could hardly see what was happening. Um, yeah, you know, and it just looked cheap, and you know, which isn't a bad thing always. But, but I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't like it. Look, I'd definitely like to watch another episode. To um, yeah, but they did an interesting thing at the showcase. The showcase they showed two complete episodes, 
and yes. they, they went back to back. And so, yeah, but I, I sort of slipped out. I just thought, oh, you know, I'd already been there for quite a while. And the thought of right. watching a whole show during a showcase, it's just very unusual, let alone two episodes back to back, you know. I'd there is a really interesting... Yeah, there is a really interesting thing in episode two where okay. um, he goes off to a dance studio because he's sort of wooing this girl and she's teaching a class of uh, students who are all Down syndrome and he ends up sort of joining this car, this class and it's just some really interesting casting there and what they get those people to do. So they're trying out some different things and they're trying to be diverse but um, yeah, I, I don't know how many more episodes I could watch of it. Yeah. I, what I thought, I really didn't like the stuff of him in that radio station uh, with his kind of co-host and, you know, trying to be the shock jocks. I really didn't like that part of the show. Yeah, yeah, and no, I, I, I didn't mind that, but, yeah, it, I didn't think it was great, but it was just really that plot line of the uh, piss on the... Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the mattress is dragged out for a whole episode. It, it might have been good for one scene or something, a bit of a laugh, you know, but there was very little else happening in that first episode. Something else that Stan also did, they previewed their first original movie that they're making. It's called The Second, um, right. starring um, Rachel Blake and Vince Colosimo. Oh, yeah. And um, and get this, Susie Porter, I think it's it, oh. too. But, um, well, I love Susie Porter. Oh, but same, how much yeah, work is, is Vince Colosimo getting these days? I mean, you, you put on TV and they're all saying, oh, he's up on a drugs charge, he might never work again. Uh, I begged Diver, he was in Offspring last night. Yes. He's in the, the new Underbellies, back playing Alphonse Catano again. You right. know, he seems yeah, to be yeah. working all the time. When's he even getting time to take drugs and get pulled over by the police? <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand where he gets time for it. Yeah, yeah, no, but he looks pretty good in this. Um, they they showed a few scenes from it. It's, I think it's finished shooting there in post-production at the moment. Yeah, but it looks yep. okay, so I'm probably uh, looking forward to that. They showed um, a, a few things. There's a, a Sony Pictures TV production, uh, elect, uh -huh. Electric Dreams, and I think uh, Stan is actually one of the production partners in this. Look, it's, okay. an, it's an amazing cast, and it's like a um, there's ten standalone episodes, but it's sort of a fantasy thing. And look, um, from what I saw, gee, I don't know how much I'm going to be into it, but look, some of the people they've got in, involved, it's really impressive um, cast. Anna Paquin's in it, uh, Steve Buscemi, a uh, Timothy Spall, who I love in just about everything. He love does. him, yeah. Um, who else? Um, Terence Howard, uh, Vera Farmer. Far, was it Farm? Farmer, yeah, Farmer Margia, Margia, something, yeah. <laughs> Greg Kinnear is in another one. Yeah, um, wow. So, you know, it's pretty amazing. I think Essie Davis might be in one too, is it? Um, Brian Cranston's in one. So some incredible, incredible people. So I'll definitely give it a go. But I'm yep. not, not too sure if it's my sort of TV. Uh, and what else? They've got some uh, new NBCU uh, content coming. So they showed that off too. Um, but yeah, well, they've got Will and Grace, haven't that's they? That's it, yeah. That's that's sort of one of the key properties they've got yeah. from that. The new, and I think they start in September, so it's not far away. They, they will. They will. If they're doing the same time as, uh, as America, it will be. I'm loving the fact that they're bringing back some of these 80s, 90s sitcoms. Yeah. And one of the very interesting things about Will and Grace and also what they're going to do with the Roseanne revival is that they're going to completely disregard the last episode. You know, because okay. in the last episode in Will and Grace, they had this ridiculous scenario where, where Will and Grace stopped being friends and didn't speak to each other for 20 years until they then discovered that their <laughs> children in a flash forward were friends with each other. You know, of course that has to be forgotten because here we are, you know, and they're still probably living in the same flat. They're still friends. And, of course, in Roseanne, she's going to have to rewrite history And because in her last episode she said Dan had died of a heart attack. Right. And, you know, right. she'd been having this fantasy about winning the lottery, which was just bonkers. Yeah, so just forget about those last episodes. I'm willing to rewrite history. We do it in soaps all the time. Just get those original casts back, and uh, I can't wait to see both Will and Grace and Roseanne. Yeah, yep. Uh, their Showtime content, they've got that exclusive deal with Showtime, which gets them some good stuff. There's a couple of half-hour uh, half comedies called, and one's called Smilf, and the other one's called White Famous, and don't know much, too much about them. But one interesting one is, an, I think it's an eight-part, 
two-part prison break drama directed by Ben Stiller, which looks wow. pretty interesting. It's called uh, Escape at Danamora. The cast includes uh, Bianchi, Bien, is it Biancio del Toro? Benicio del Benicio Toro. del Toro. Paul, yeah. uh, Paul Dano? Dano. Dano. I, yeah. I love his stuff. Um, he played Brian Wilson, I think, in that Beach Boys drama. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you mean. He yeah. was in also, what was the uh, the Russian, the BBC Russian thing, War and Peace? War and Peace. He was in yes, that. Yes, yes. Um, he was very good. Patricia Arquette's in that as well. So yep. that, that, look, that looks pretty interesting. So, you know, plenty of good uh, content coming from Stan. Yeah. Um, something else I wanted to mention today, I finally caught up with, um, I've been a bit slow on this, but the latest series, this is season five of um, House of Cards. I finally, oh, wow. I finally finished it this week. Now, you're, did you, you don't keep watching I've House never of done Cards, it. Do I yeah. don't watch American politics shows. I right. watch real <laughs> politics. I'm, I'm not interested in dramas about it. Yeah, yeah. Now, look, this, I, I've always been uh, big on House of Cards and... Um, I've been with it all along the way. Yes, season five, it's uh, taken me a little while to work my way <laughs> yeah. through to the end of it. But, gee, those last episodes are pretty stunning, stunning some of the stuff that happens, and they've, um, they've really ended in an interesting place that really makes you want to go. You wonder when you're watching it at times, oh, will this be the last season, you know, but the, um, the very last frame, can I give a spoiler, do you think, at this stage? Mm, well, it's been out but, for a few weeks. Tell me. Well, I want to know. If you don't want to know, time. turn off now. Well, Robin Wright as Claire Under. Wood is just looking at the screen and she goes, now it's my turn. You know? Whoa, yes, so, please. <laughs> <laughs> that and, sounds great. And she is stunning in those um, those last few last few episodes. Wow, you know. I reckon even you could fall for the for, um I, I love those. Robin Wright. Yeah, well look, she really just well, she just she's all over it. She's the she's the central character. Probably most of that season, particularly in the last half though, she spends time as the US president. And, yep. um, and yeah, look, she's just fantastic. And she turns out to be, can I, she's, turns, she's as nasty as her husband, you know. As, um, oh, yeah. As Frank I've Underwood, read that. you know. But, because um, Frank was sort of certainly the um, sleazy one at the start, but gee whiz, um, <laughs> his wife Claire's not far behind him <laughs> at the end of the season, you know. There's, and in particular, his last couple of episodes, wow, what they uh, try on. It's incredible. James. You know? Have you caught up with, have you kept watching Taboo on BBC First with Tom Hardy? I haven't even started it yet. Yeah, right. Well, I've got it, I've got it sitting there. It's kind of backing up. I'll end up watching it all. It's interesting because after I, um, we spoke on this last podcast and I said, what are they doing? Why did that show air in the UK in January and not yeah. get to us till July? Well, they got in contact with me and they oh. said it was, it was very strategic. We decided because it wasn't a regular BBC first. Uh, audience show yeah, yeah. we decided to launch it off the back of game of thrones yeah, okay. and try and say it's it's that type of audience um so i hope it's worked out well for them because of course we all know that, that first night that game of thrones went to air well certainly from an internet point of view the bloody system crashed yeah foxtel now so uh i don't know how many people sampled it but look you know i can't wait to sort of sit there and see how it all finishes up because there is a second series being made well, I did notice it made the uh, top uh, the top five non-sport shows on Foxtel this week. Was a uh, well, there you go. Was taboo on BBC First, so that uh, yep. programming strategy seems to have worked for them. Seems to have worked, and it's it's not very often something you know one of those. Um, a drama like that which does find its way into that top five. What about those numbers for Game of Thrones? Oh, I mean, aren't they insane funny. that Foxtel gets, you know, 450,000 viewers at 11 a.m. in the morning? Yeah, yeah. Look you just it. go, wow. Yeah, but I think that does include people who record that episode and then watch oh, it, does it later in the day because right. it, it includes catch-up on those overnight figures if you watch it in the same day. And right. I think the coding they have on it, it records whichever episode... <laughs> So, and I think a lot of people might record that first time. Of course screens, they would, yeah. And then maybe watch it that evening when they get home. As soon as they get in, yeah. yeah. So I think that's, but I'm sure there's still a lot of right, people okay. who actually are sitting there watching it live. Um, look, yeah, it's I've, still a lot, isn't it, though? It's still oh, like four times oh, the audience yeah. of 
anything yeah. that the biggest show yeah. any mean, other it's show. Yeah, way above any of the football games easily. Way you know, above. Which, uh, which are supposed to be the, the big deals at, um, yeah. at, at this time of year. But I'm, look, I'm loving this season. It's just fantastic. Um, I'm still one episode behind as we uh, talk. Um, but there's only seven this season, isn't there? Yeah, it's short. And it's I think there's just just two left as we are uh, we're talking now. But this um, this season season seven's wonderful. That's um, yeah. Just in the I think it's the spoils of war episodes, the most recent one I've seen. They have have another big battle scene in that one. And gee whiz, that's um, that's the second massive battle in two seasons. I think they've had. Isn't yeah, it, it is, they're, isn't it? And yeah. Gee, gee whiz, that must cost them a bomb to do that. But they do it so well, you know. It's just incredible. Um, what else? Anything else you wanted to mention? The uh, the first upfront of the year has been um, nine. Looks like they're going to be first with their upfronts this year. Is that right? Okay. Yeah. Some of the invites went out this week. I'm pretty sure it's about. Um, they've given people plenty of notice. It's in mid. I think it's not till mid October or early October. So they've they've given the best part of two months notice. But I guess it's important for the networks. They want to own that date. And get people yep. to you know put it in their um in their diaries, so that lets you know seven, ten, Foxtel, SBS, anybody else that's going to have a showcase, make sure they you know program away from that day, so they don't uh, risk uh, not getting people. Now I think it's going to be a lot shorter nines up front this year. It was, it was very long last year. It was a whole afternoon split into two parts. I think it's just a shorter. Uh, maybe hour and a half, 90 minutes or something this year. Uh, and, you know, they just kind of need one more hit show oh, yeah. and yeah. they could become the number one network again. I mean, they're now sitting there with a big hit with Australian Ninja Warrior, a big hit with uh, uh, Carl this time next yep. year, yep. and they've got a big hit with Hamish and Andy's True Stories, which, you know, is kind of climbing back to the audience figures it got on Monday night in its new time slot on. So they're, you know, they're coming into this back half of the year in a really strong position. Oh, yeah, look, I think the year-end figures are going to be very interesting because while Seven did very well at the start of the year, Nine certainly come back big time. Um, you know, certainly they really kicked lots of goals with, um, obviously, Ninja Warrior. But even before yeah. that, they were still pretty competitive with... Um, Let's not forget Married at First yeah, Sight. Yeah, Married at First gave, Sight, you know, did, you know, it, did pretty it, well. Uh, it gave MKR a bit of a scare on a few yeah. nights. Yeah, and I think um, in terms of competitive and audience share, the block is having a massive season, and that's, yeah. going, to, that's going to do very well. So when yes, you get Family Food Fight does, you know, half-decent numbers. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I think nine will definitely be very competitive uh, for, for this year. It was interesting this week on the seven... Um, and the seven results, they had up a, a schedule of all the key programs over the next 12 months. And interestingly, most of them are sports because it's got some massive sporting events coming up, including the Com Games um, yep. next year. There was the Rugby League World Cup. And, of course, the AFL Finals, of course, in September. But one of the things was you get to, I think it was June 2018, and it's greyed out. There's nothing there, but it says major new format to be revealed. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. I had a brief chat to Tim Warner this week, and I said, look, can you tell us anything about that uh, that format? <laughs> and I said, Have, is this something you've already identified, or are you going out looking for something that you hope, <laughs> to, have, hope to have ready by June next year? Because they've obviously got a hole, for, you know, they need something there. And he said, no, it's yeah. something that we've identified, something we know we will be having to go in that slot. So let's wow. just hope it's better than Yummy Mummies or, <laughs> or, or maybe um, Hell's Kitchen. But they, they yeah. seem seem pretty confident they've they've got okay. the uh, yeah they've got something good for there. Look, I also had a quick chat to him and said, look, you know, by your standards, you'd have to say you're in a bit of a rating slump at the moment. And he says, yes, look, we could be f performing a little bit better. Um, uh, and I said, look, this whole food thing the you had great success with My Kitchen Rules, but 
you've sort of shown, you know, that the success you've had with that has illustrated how hard it is to get one of those because everything else you've had a go at in the food category just hasn't, you know, hasn't been successful. And he said, well, just don't worry about food. He says it's hard to get any, you know, any uh, genre away, which is yeah. probably why it, when you talk yeah. about, you know, it is hard to get a food show up. And it's hard to get anything up really to, to find that big hit, isn't it? And we should also not lose uh, lose sight of the fact that they're still the number one network. Yeah, they've yeah. still pretty much won the year um, based on uh, you know the fact that they've run the won the majority of the surveys. It's just that you know the narrative is that because they're number one and because it's getting every year it's so close with nine and the gap keeps closing. By bit, of course, the story is the fact that now they're going to, that they're in a bit of a rating slump. But it shouldn't take away from the fact that when they do start that year with the Australian Open and the MKR, they're absolutely unbeatable for the first few months. Yeah, yeah, they they absolutely are. You you're right about that. Uh, before I let you go, any other little uh, closing thoughts this week? Any um, previews about what you might be casting your eye across next week? Um, look, uh, I, th- I did. If I would encourage people to search out a uh, article that Andrew Hornery wrote for the Sun Herald last week, in which he, he basically called it as as he should have. You know, the the people who run off to the newspapers and say, "Oh, we have several production companies interested in turning our lives into a reality TV show." I mean, you and I, James, know that those shows never come to fruition. That that is nothing but self promotion um and you know the latest was uh the art dealer charles billich who you know he and his wife was said that they were sort of going over to la to open an art gallery and it was going to be a reality show and they're swingers and there was great interest from u.s networks and of course hornery discovers in his um his investigation that they're self-funding it is that they so often do these people you know and you've got david and lisa oldfield telling the press oh you know we've got several production companies interested in our lives um you know say nothing and tell us when you're signed on the dotted line because all the rest of it is just self-promotion in my book yeah you think a few of those local shows where they've tried haven't they with people yeah, it's never worked they just don't work at all they just no. don't work at all look it creates a bit of media hype around it but but that certainly doesn't transfer into ratings does it you know no the, it does um, not yeah not not at all no. And newspapers should be the newspapers that are reporting these stories should do a little bit more investigation than looking at someone's Twitter feed or having that person say to them, you know, you know, someone's going to make a reality TV show of our lives. I mean, I can remember years and years and years ago the stories that Kyle Sandlands was going to have a reality show that never happened either. Yeah. But I think he sunk yeah. a lot of his money into it as well, you know. Sure. So it's never a guaranteed deal here in Australia. No, it's not. No. All right, Andrew, look, great chatting to you. I think this weekend will all be about China Girl, won't it? And we'll be looking uh, keenly at the sort of reaction uh, and yes. the ratings. But I've, I've got a feeling it's all going to be good. Yes, I think so. I think they'll be happy. Yeah. All right, Andrew, thank you. Um, continued success with your little cinema venture there. What's, what's opening this weekend? Anything good? Uh, well, we've got Logan Lucky, the new Steven Soderbergh movie with Channing Tatum, Daniel Craig, Hilary Swank, great all-star cast. Yeah. Uh, not a lot happening in the press about it, though. No, but look, Dunkirk, quiet, is pulling, mm. Dunkirk is pulling the crowds for me, so as long yeah. as I've got one film pulling him in, I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah, Paul, good on you. All right, look, have a good weekend, and we'll uh, catch up with you soon. Thanks, James. Have a great week. Okay, bye.